Welcome to episode 21 of the 7 Minutes Podcast. This is going to be our final episode of 2021. Uh, And for our season finale today, we are going to be doing things a little bit differently. And uh, looking back at a wide range of years. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and uh, introduce everyone here on the podcast. I feel like you jumped into that a a little rushed. Hello, everyone, yeah, and hi. welcome. Not enough buildup. Yeah. Well, feel free to take the opportunity to introduce yourself. Oh, yep. Uh, since you commandeered the podcast. Uh, whoops. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> I am Angela. You are. Uh, I am Robert. You are. And I'm Zach. So uh, we're going to go... We're doing decades, basically. We're going to do 2001 and our favorite games from that year. Then we'll jump ahead a decade and do our favorite games from 2011. And then uh, we'll end by talking about some of our favorite games from this year. So assuming we continue doing the podcast, maybe we'll like kind of you know switch it to 2002 and then 2012 or something. Or maybe even go back and like, what was our favorite game in 1992? Yeah, we uh, record for 10 years running and we'll have a, a full full box set. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> All right, so 2001, who would like to start us off? This was Zach's idea, so I think Zach should go first. Okay. has been inflicted upon me. Okay, so um, this is kind of like an early launch or launch-ish period for a number of systems, including PS2. I really like a number of the early PS2 games, like uh, the early Dynasty Warriors and stuff like that, but one that's stood out to me as something that just kind of landed in my lap. And it's not something that I would necessarily have picked out in most circumstances. But for whatever reason, I picked up a copy of SSX Tricky hmm. uh, when I got my GameCube. And GameCube launched that year too, right? Yeah, it did. I think GameCube and X... Yeah, PS2 came out in 2000, I think, mm-hmm. um, along with the original SSX. But Tricky came out uh, around the time the GameCube and Xbox launched. It's, uh, for those who don't know, it is a snowboarding racing game with extremely colorful characters. How colorful? Uh, the guy on the box is voiced by David Arquette and has a giant, giant uh, Jufro. Um, <laughs> Billy Zane plays like a, like a tree-hugging surfer type. I forget what that guy, character's name is. But Good Lord. There's a lot of personality in the characters. It's kind of obnoxious, um, but what what I love about the game is it mixes some kind of Tony Hawk-ish tricks, as suggested by the title, SSX Tricky, uh, with a, a racing setup. Like, really interesting courses, great music, including the uh, Run DMC, uh, It's Tricky, being used as the title track. Um, but I just remember having a ton of fun with this game, trying to get high scores uh with a bunch of characters kaori who's like the little japanese schoolgirl type and mac who is this sullen little punk both of them gravitated to because they had really really good handling kind of the shy guys of their game i guess you want to think of it that way but yeah huge fan i never never stuck with the series that much after that i i liked tricky so much that i actually skipped ssx3 
and then picked up SSX Blur when it came out on the Wii, and yeah. that game is so bad. Oh. Like it's a, it's a different studio. It's the personality is so anemic. The control scheme they try to do like a split Wii mode thing to have you like I think balance on on the um snowboard and stuff like that mm-hmm. doesn't work the big problem though is it just doesn't have the big personality that that tricky does uh i haven't played tricky since probably 2003 but i have to imagine it still holds up so that's one for me let's go around like one by one well there's a lot for me for 2001 i think the most obvious one to start with is probably super smash bros melee so many memories of playing that game with Robert and our cousin our cousin Dom and uh, I just thought it was I mean it's still I mean people people still insist that Melee is the best of all um, the Smash Bros entries um, it's been a long time since I've played Melee and it's it's actually interesting when you go back and and play that game after playing all the other iterations that have come after it feels very very fast um, compared to the other ones that came after. I don't know what it is about it, why it feels so just like speedy, like almost like, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, almost like, like twitchy, but not in, in a bad way. Um, but that game was just so exciting. Um, cause you know, it looked better than the original <laughs> smash smash on the N64, but, um, did you like it more than the N64 game at the time? I think I had to have. Uh, I mean, I remember playing Smash when it came out on the Nintendo 64. <clears throat> but when it came out on the GameCube, it was so cool. It was like everybody... I mean, I, even though it's such an old game now, I think it still looks good, all things considered. Mm-hmm. But it looked amazing in 2001. Um, and the trophies, I thought the trophies were just so cool. Um, I used to look forward to getting new ones and reading the little tidbits and pieces of information. And, um, man, Smash, you know, Melee is just is such a good game. Um, definitely a highlight. How long has it been since you fired it up, do you think? I think the last time I played Melee might have been my 18th birthday. So 13 years ago. <laughs> I think I might have played, I think the last time I played Melee might have been when I was a tutor. And one of my students loved Melee. And so I can't remember if he brought the GameCube or if I brought the GameCube, but the GameCube ended up at the school that I was tutoring at. And we pl- we played. It was me and a couple other students and him. And uh, it was funny because I wasn't that much older than the students I was tutoring because it was the high school I went to and all that. But uh, I guess I was old enough that he thought it's like, ah, it's just like the older tutor. He's not really going to do much. And I said my main was Link. And Link is, you know, not like a whatever top tier competitive fighter. But I'm pretty versatile with him. And I remember he seemed to begrudgingly be like, oh, well, that was better than I was expecting because none of them beat me. (laughs) It was pretty funny. Um, So, yeah, uh, Melee is definitely on my list of favorites from 2001. Uh, I guess I'll keep it GameCube oriented for mine. Uh, Luigi's Mansion had a major impact on me when that game came out. Our Aunt Linda bought the GameCube. As far as I understand, it's the first console that she just went and got. Because there was always like a weird origin for the first three Nintendo systems that we had. But I remember one day we got to 
our grandma's house and Linda just like had it. I can't even remember the buildup for it. I don't remember like specifically asking. Linda just got the thing, I think. And I believe Luigi's Mansion was one of the first games we had for the system. I think it was like Luigi's Mansion, uh, Smash, and maybe, uh, I don't know. It might have been a Madden game, actually. But, man, Luigi's Mansion, that game, just the graphics are what stood out so much in my head playing it at the time. Because, you know, N64 and the PS1, that whole era introduced, like, these 3D games. But by the time you get to GameCube and PS2, it's so much more detailed. And uh, I remember, like, the build-up to that era. Like, you had EGM talking about... uh, it was the 3D Street Fighter game that was coming. It was like Street Fighter EX or something. Yeah. And they were talking about the individual blades of grass that you could see <laughs> on like a certain stage. <laughs> you know, Luigi's Mansion stands out because if I'm remembering correctly, I think when IGN either reviewed it, or not IGN, EGM, the magazine, when they either reviewed it or previewed it, they were complaining about the dual stick setup for the controls because it wasn't common yet. So the GameCube has the little nub, the C-stick nub, but technically it's just a second analog input like the, the control stick itself. So you would move Luigi with the one on the left, but the C-stick is how you would aim the, uh, the poltergust. And they thought it was unintuitive. They thought it was weird. And, and it's like that's how you play almost every third-person action game now, but... At the time, it was unusual. But, uh, yeah, Luigi's Mansion was great. It was really uh, very atmospheric. The animations were all just so mesmerizing. Like, the dust that would swirl behind Luigi that you can then whip around and vacuum. And uh, I think that it was also... By the time you get into the GameCube era, that's when you really start to get more expression out of the characters themselves. That's not to say that Mario and them were completely dead and lifeless in, like, Mario 64, but the the intricacy and detail in Luigi's Mansion was just, you know, unheard of at that point. And that's when you really started to get a sense of, like, Luigi's cowardly personality. It was great. Cool. Um, I was never that into Smash. Uh, I remember it being played at some parties when I was like Melee specifically, GameCube era when mm-hmm. I was in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember as a party game, definitely preferring uh, this next one on my list, Super Monkey Ball, mm. um, which I, I do like the first two Monkey Ball games. But honestly, less for the main game, which I do like, like the obstacle course stuff, and more for the the four-player antics of the mini games that shipped with super monkey ball and with the first super monkey ball in particular i remember uh, the monkey fight mini game which just put you and the other players in your monkey balls that all had boxing gloves attached to them and you would rotate you would move the the ball that you're in rotate the boxing gloves separately and uh you would have to time your like projectile boxing club hits to knock everyone else off the platform super simple but the controls are just like slippery enough and the impacts were just punchy enough that it felt like it was always a little bit out of your control mm-hmm. so it was a real blast um i think the other mini games were good too and maybe it seems silly to spend so much time talking about just one mini game and one game but i had a ton of fun playing monkey fight in super monkey ball I think I think it's totally that's totally legit. I mean, for 
Mario Kart Double Dash, um, me and Robert and our cousins would play uh, the multiplayer, uh, the Shine Sprite Battle for hours. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think it's totally legitimate to talk about one little mini game. Um, Luigi's Mansion was also on my list, um, same as Robert. Um, incredibly fun and, and felt very, very different for the time. Um, something really unique from Nintendo and from the Mario, the Mario universe. Um, or- Oracle of Ages and Seasons. Uh, the Legend of Zelda, Oracle of Ages, and Oracle of Seasons for the Game Boy Color. I spent a lot of time on those games. Um, I actually beat ages i believe and i got really close to beating seasons and i I didn't quite but um those games were just really they were the art the concept art was really beautiful and um the games were just really fun uh seasons in particular it was really neat just seeing the landscape change from season to season and you had all of your little animal buddies and um yeah great games Uh, i think they're i mean Maybe maybe underrated isn't quite the right word. I mean, they definitely get respect. I just I just feel like they aren't very they aren't talked about very much. And so in that regard, I would say I think they're a little underrated, but I yeah. think they're considered lesser in part because they're handheld, but also because they were developed by Capcom rather than Which is bizarre to me because they also developed Minish Cap and like the Oracle games, Minish Cap is fantastic. Um, yeah. So Yeah, also like Game Boy Color is just less impressive. Like, like it wasn't that big a jump from Game Boy, mm-hmm. so there's, I think there just wasn't as much shine to it. But I, I that doesn't so. mean they're bad games at all. I mean, uh, they, I, they were also positioned in an awkward time frame because mm-hmm. the Game Boy Advance had just come out, yeah. and if you plug those games into a Game Boy Advance, you could get a couple of rings mm-hmm. that were exclusive. Like you could tell that mm-hmm. it was in the Game Boy Advance. Mm-hmm. I think that might be part of it. Because I think Minish Cap also suffered the same awkward timing of coming out like when the DS was coming out. Mm-hmm. So Capcom just had unfortunate timing with its Zelda games. But yeah, yeah those are two that I also really loved. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're really well made. Um, people talk about, I believe, uh, well, I know that was supposed to be a trilogy and they scrapped that. They just did the two games. And then there's like the, the Triforce. Inter- yeah, the Triforce than... thing they were going to do. Yeah, because Furore appears in like the weird password connected thing you can do. Yeah. yeah. You get like a third campaign that you can do like in each one where you are, you finally fight Ganon. Yeah. But you have to have both games to yeah. do it somehow. Yeah. I think it was like, man, I think it's you get a code at the end of each game and then you input it and somehow that, then then. Uh, the code somehow unlock in it's something like that i believe seasons is the one that gets kind of a bad rap because it's like the quote-unquote action focused one and then ages has the more cerebral puzzles but i think they're both really good mm-hmm. um i'm not going to confine this to just things i played in 2001 otherwise it's only going to be nintendo games oh yeah i definitely didn't so uh i'm going to include metal gear solid 2 here mm-hmm. That was another huge deal, you know, in terms of buildup, because again, going back to EGM for impressions, I remember they were they were Sony fanboys like you knew EGM. That crew loved Sony. And I recall them kind of sliding. um, I think it was Wave Race Blue Storm for GameCube because Nintendo was showing off. Look at the water effects. Mm -hmm. And they were all like. 
Well, look at the water effects in MGS2, and this is just one part of this game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, they're really speaking your language. <laughs> but yeah, well, you know, that game is very impressive. It's controversial, or at the time it was especially controversial because you're playing as Raiden the whole time. Uh, just a little bit of Snake, but it doesn't matter. Like, that game's really well made and fun. Although, I'm going to admit, I have played that game and beaten it, I think, three times at this point, three or four times. And every single time I get to the end and Solidus is giving his his monologue that just seems to go forever, I don't think I've ever remained conscious for all of it. <laughs> like, And I don't know if it's just like I, every time I've ever beaten the game, it's like late at night. And but it's just it, it starts going and then I go to sleep and I'm like, you know, I missed it again. I don't really know what happens completely at the end. <laughs> but that game is that game's really fun. And uh, although someone here will poo poo it. It sort of sets the uh, framework we for... We don't need to talk about Twin Snakes. Twin it didn't snakes. come out in 2001, and it's not a good game besides. It's so good. But yeah, that's one of my entries. Cool. Um, yeah, I haven't actually been a big fan of any of the games either of you have said so far. But surprise, that's okay. Surprise. That's part of the like the wonder mm-hmm. of humanity, I mean, right? Mm-hmm. I ain't loving SSX tricky. Yeah, so. that's fine. Or monkey, Super Monkey Ball. That's fine. Um, this is another one I haven't played in ages. But uh, Ico, or Ico, mm. I think is maybe how it's supposed to be pronounced. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Anyhow, uh, the one with the little horn boy mm-hmm. rescuing the, the princess from the shadow monsters. Mm. Um, I really like this game. It, it really, I think I played it at the right time. It was a, I did it, I want to say I did it all in one shot, like one day. Mm. It's, it's not a long game at all. <laughs> but it was just, I was home alone. It was a rainy day on some some weekend and and just went through the whole thing and it's it was a perfect way to experience a game that has got like a really strange atmosphere to it and as kind of a not super technically impressive ps2 game it still carries a kind of weird atmosphere at least like i said i haven't revisited in a long time but looking at screenshots or videos in the years since it it's got a weird look Hmm. um really i've played ico uh myself i didn't think it's all that weird looking no no, I thought it was fairly like leaning, kind of in the realistic bent. A little. Hmm. That game is very fun, though. Um, I have a really strong memory of, uh, just feeling really like connected to the character, like this nameless little boy, but just like feeling like I could really identify with what what he was trying to do is like desperation and trying to save yorda the princess and i remember just like i like i felt bad when i messed up in that game in a way that i i don't remember feeling in games generally Mm -hmm. uh there's a there's a moment where you're like trying to escape the castle across a drawbridge and the drawbridge starts to retract um and what you're supposed to do is go back into the castle but what i did was like jump i think like jump over to like the far side uh, away from the drawbridge mm-hmm. but yorda doesn't so i just got like I, I died but what what before i died what i saw was like the drawbridge like slowly receding and me being like oh i just abandoned them didn't i <laughs> oh well this isn't gonna work out and just i don't know how long it took but it felt like it stretched out forever mm-hmm. um i'd never liked shadow of the colossus nearly as much as ico mm-hmm. and i didn't even pick up the the third one um Oh, yeah, what was it called? Last Guardian. Last Guardian. Yeah, I still haven't played that either. Yeah, but 
I thought Ico was like, like this like bite-sized perfect little thing. I wouldn't necessarily want all my games to be anything like it, but I thought it was wonderful. Yeah, Ico is really cool. It's uh, it's incredibly atmospheric. Um, I think in a way that you hadn't really seen up to that point. I mean, you know that that N sixty four PS one Sega Saturn era is fascinating because it's all these developers like learning this new way of making games and. It's sort of like, I think we talked about this in the recent podcast, but like, just look at the way music is used in certain 3D games, like on PS1, where it can't even really handle swapping between different tracks. So it's like you have like Spyro, where it's just one track per stage and it's just going nonstop. You start getting to the PS2 era, the technology's better, the developers are more experienced, and you can create these more deliberate, atmospheric games like Ico. Ico really was like, I can't think of anything that's like it up until that point. And uh, it's just, it's such an impressive title to play for the first time. Where you're just like, wow, you know, you're exploring this whole castle and pretty much, it's, I don't think there's any dialogue, right? I think it's wordless for the most part. I can't remember. I, I think the I think it's entirely possible that like the evil queen has dialogue, but I can't, mm-hmm. I can't recall. Yeah, Ike was very impressive. I don't think the boy or or Yorda talked during the course of the game, at least. All right, now well, Angie's turn. Well, um, Pokemon Crystal. Um, you know, I have very strong attachment and, and feelings for uh, Gens 1 and 2 of Pokemon. Um, I just think those games are the best, I think. Kanto and Johto are the best regions and, and the first and second generations of Pokemon are the most, are the coolest and the most appealing. Was Crystal the capstone for the second generation? Yes. So Crystal was actually the last Pokemon game on the Game Boy Color. Um, and it was the first game where you could play as a girl. Not that I really cared. <laughs> because I kept, even in the subsequent games, I kept choosing the boy. Um, Did you pick a girl in Crystal? I don't think you have a choice, if I'm remembering correctly. I think you have to play as the girl. Uh, you, I don't think you can be the boy. Hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was neat, too, because the actual cartridge was like, I think it's like a clear kind of blue, maybe some flex in it. But it's it's definitely, I think, like a clear, clear blue cartridge. Um, yeah, I mean, not really too much to say. And I haven't played Pokemon Crystal since probably 2001 (laughs) but but, uh, i just remember playing it as much as i did you know red uh red blue yellow and and silver and gold um it's interesting and i wonder how much this is going to come up on our 2011 list also but a a lot of these have been things we haven't played in close to a decade or or longer mm -hmm. and you know robert and i we have all of our games um you know we didn't trade these things in or sell them. I, I have Pokemon Crystal sitting in our downstairs closet here in the house right now if I wanted to go fire it up again. Actually, that kind of scares me because I wonder, I hope that, um, you know, the internal battery hasn't died, that it can still save, but I don't know. That Chikorita is dead as a doorknob. <laughs> I'm going to uh, take exception to what Zach said, with the exception of Melee, because I don't... I don't like to go back to old Smash Bros. games because, like, muscle memory is important with those games. And I'm just like, I want it to be whatever the most current is. 
But man, like I play all this old stuff constantly. <laughs> I mean, I play plenty of old stuff. It's just like these, for some reason, the things that have made it onto my list that I've talked about and some of the stuff Angie's talked about too is stuff we haven't touched for a long time. Mm. Yeah. Well, like for my next choice, uh, Conquer's Bad Fur Day, that was recent for What a me. waste of a slot. <laughs> Conquer is great. That game is so funny and with the, you know, incredibly inappropriate humor. I don't know how Nintendo... It was just so odd because it was clear that Nintendo did not want to really promote the game. And it's like, well, why did you let them make it then? But <laughs> they did. And uh, very fun. Not as complex as like like Banjo-Kazooie or Tooie. But it wasn't supposed to be. That game is more about just the ridiculous narrative. And uh, from a technological standpoint, very impressive for an N64 game. Um, I remember distinctly being in Toys R Us... And I don't know if it was the year that it came out, but it had to have been close because it was still on the shelves. That game, Toys R Us couldn't get rid of fast enough. They had all these copies, and I swear it was like somewhere between $5 and $15 a pop. You could get a copy of Conquer. Like, I would go back in time and buy every copy <laughs> just to have them to sell. But uh, Conquer is a really good one. It's very distinct from the usual Nintendo fare. Uh, next one for me is one that I have revisited quite a bit. Uh, including a few years ago it is final fantasy 10 um might have been the game i got a ps2 for it's also the game i got a ps vita for originally is when that like the remaster of 10 and 10 2 came out on vita um it's not my favorite final fantasy but uh i do still like it a lot uh i think the turn-based combat uh really does come alive in some boss fights especially late in the game it's it's got the right level of giving you a lot of structure but still some fun ways to to really break the game over your knee especially as you reach the calm lands which is where the game kind of opens up a little um I thought the progression systems from the sphere grid were a lot of fun. I thought Riku's mix ability uh, really opens up some very interesting strategies. Uh, this is one of the first games, though, that I can remember feeling it was just like it was too long. There was too much content. You get to the end of this game and like it's like, OK, well, now you can unlock all the super monsters in the monster arena to do that you have to capture like 10 of every monster in the game and then you have to go do this thing and that thing and i remember just feeling a little overwhelmed never 100 percent of that game and it was like i think one of the first games where i realized that i didn't want to keep going even with a game that i really loved but um back to the positive i, I think uh the music's really beautiful i i I think the emotional payoffs of the story are really good. I think Angie would hate it because it's kind of a, a bittersweet ending. Yeah, you've told me about how it ends, and I think it's trash. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got stuck with Final Fantasy X. I did not play it at launch. I played it more recently. I can't remember what I played it on, though. And I got stuck at the point where you're playing the fake soccer in the water. Yeah, that that's hard to wrap your head around Blitzball. Yeah, I, I don't think I want it. And then I think that's when I lost interest and stopped playing. Because <laughs> you have a fairly small amount of control in Blitzball, which is part of the fun of Blitzball. But in that opening exhibition, you have you have too little control. Like you can do more to like build out your team and like control how the match goes. But that first game is is not so fun. 
Plus, isn't there... I might be completely making this up. Isn't there something you can only get if you complete that tournament that you're forced to play it's a certain useful. way? It's useful. What you get is a... Damn me for knowing this. What you get is a strength sphere, which lets you get like a slight boost of power that you wouldn't otherwise get. But eventually you can just farm strength, strength spheres. So it's like long term, it's not like a missable. It's just like a nice thing to you can try for. I think that was part of what made me linger because I was not just trying to win. I was trying to win it. However, yeah. whatever the requirement was, I was trying to do and couldn't do it. And that was part of what screwed me over. Yeah. Well, last game on my list for 2001 uh, was Mario Kart Super Circuit. I feel like I played a lot of this game. Um, I don't know why. Mario Kart seems to be a game that I... <laughs> was that the GBA yes, one? Yes, yeah. Um, Mario Kart is a franchise I have just put a lot of my time in <laughs> from my childhood. But um, Super Circuit was not the best. Uh, it's just... I spent a lot of time playing this game <laughs> and, uh, and it was cool. It was a, a novelty being able to take, um, you know, Mario Kart on the go. Uh, I love that game. You don't it, think it's that good? Uh, no, no. I think it's, it's got its pros for sure. I was just saying it's not, it's, it's not the best Mario Kart by any means, but it is a good game. Um, I actually think it, I mean, I think looking back, you know, you can see it's not like, the best looking GBA game or anything, but I, I think it still holds up pretty well, um, graphically, visually. Uh, it was really fun. Uh, I have a lot of good memories with, with super circuit. It just, it, it's one of those games that is like, man, it's like quintessentially childhood for me. Like it just, it makes me think of summers, uh, you know, playing my game boy advance and being, just being a kid. Um, I have some nostalgia. I'd never played it. I've never found it. I never got the impression that it was like a must play, but I've mm -hmm. also never heard a bad thing about it. I assumed yeah. it was like a perfectly good yeah, it's portable the, Mario Kart it experience. Totally, it totally is. Well, the, Super Circuit is the last... Well, I mean, they've only made two, basically, but like Super Circuit's in the style of Super Mario Kart. Mm -hmm. And I love that game because it felt like Super Mario Kart. Mm -hmm. And I love Mario Kart 64, but that return to the Super Mario Kart feel was really fun. And uh, that game, when you, I think if you beat it or something, it unlocks the entire, like, it's basically all of Super Mario Kart is in that game. Mm -hmm. It just is redone in the graphics of, of it. Yeah. But, like, everything that you played in Super Mario Kart, you can play in Super Circuit. Mm -hmm. I think it's I think it's really cool. Yep. Back before game companies realized they could just sell it to you again. Yeah, that was a bonus. And that yep. was one of the first, I think, infamous examples of, like, busting your ass in a Nintendo game and getting everything. And the only reward is a different title screen. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I'm correct Man, with I that. I forgot about that being a thing in games, yeah. Yep. So, um, are we closing out 2001 now? Well, that was mine. That was the last one for I me. only had one more. Okay, I guess I'll make this my last one. Then it's going <laughs> to... I'm throwing it in there because I love this series. 2001 is when Toki Tori made oh. its debut. <laughs> Very obscure Game Boy Color. Capcom published it, but Two Tribes made it. Oh, that game was so... That game is so fun. Um, it's like a puzzle platformer. And you're this cute little yellow chick. 
And, you know, it's been, like, remade and re-released all sorts of different ways. But the original Game Boy Color version is super fun and incredibly valuable if you have it. Um, I love Tokitori. Like, you know, it, it's sad how you, you can never remember every single game that comes and goes. And there's little obscure ones that some people love, some people don't. But Tokitori is one of those ones I'm attached to. And uh, so it gets a shout-out for my list of 2001 games. Do you remember who made it? I, I said it was Two Tribes. Two Tribes. What the heck is Two Tribes? That's the company that made it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Cool. Um, we can close out 2001. I will say the last one I was going to talk about was Advance Wars, but I know I've talked about Advance Wars on the podcast already, like for the GBA episode, so I don't need to like it's all right. go I mean, over all of it again. Talk about note, it again. Just note that Zach really loves the Advance Wars series and is very resentful towards Nintendo for taking it away from him, and especially in lieu of, or in favor of, rather, um, Fire Emblem. I really... Which he despises. Yeah, I, I, I said before, like, every way in which Fire Emblem and Advance Wars differ from each other, Advance Wars does it right, <laughs> and Fire Emblem was a mistake. <laughs> All right, well... Oh, my goodness. Well, I guess I'll start off... 2011 we're transitioning um, now we are into 2011 there yeah and it's funny because when i was looking at the list of games and I was, I was telling robert and zach this before we started filming um it started to make me very nostalgic because i worked at gamestop from 2009 to 2014 and so many of the games on that came out in 2011 um were just making me think of that time. I mean, looking at the games from 2001, which is kind of universally considered maybe the best year of gaming ever. <laughs> um, those made me nostalgic thinking of my childhood because um, I turned 11 in, in 2001. But 2011 made me nostalgic for my early 20s. I turned 21 in 2011. Um, yeah, right? <laughs> I was like let's do some math yeah I was like wait a second yeah no I did I did I was born 90 um and so you know anyway uh so I you know I turned 21 that year and looking at the list of games it was like and stuff that I didn't even I didn't really necessarily care about but I just I remember putting on what we called it you know putting on the walls at GameStop like Dirt 3 um Sonic Generations Saints what was it, Saints Row the Third or whatever, mm -hmm. L.A. Noir, like all these games that just, uh, Modern Warfare 3, that were, were like, <laughs> uh, you know, opening boxes of, of distro and, and having to put out all these, you know, the latest new release. And I just, it's the colors too, which is interesting to me, the association of color and the box art for these games, you know, Saints Row and the purple, Dirt 3 and the aqua, um, Sonic Generations and the white cover. Like, it's just weird how my mind... Mm associates those games with the color but um so anyway so it made me think of my time working at GameStop and and by 2011 I was deep in it um but I guess the first game I'll mention for 2011 um and I've mentioned this game in the past so I won't focus on it too much but Alice Madness Returns I played it on the PS3 um I had I had never played American McGee's Alice on the PC, so my first introduction to the series was Madness Returns. Um, it just blew my mind. You know, it was it was just so. It's a beautiful game, visually speaking. 
uh, it's bizarre and it's dark and it's macabre and it's uh, a little disturbing at times. It's and like a stage-based 3D platformer with some action elements. Is yeah, that? yeah. Um, it's got some major hack and slash yes, going on. She's running around with like little knives. Yes, which is what I was going to get into. <laughs> um, she, she, and the combat is really fun. Um, I think it's called like the Vorpal Blade. Makes sense. I think is is at least her base weapon, and you get all these other ones, you know. And uh, there are all these themed levels. Like I remember one. I think the entire level, or at least a big chunk of it, is is like two D platforming, and it's in this kind of um, um, like traditional Chinese art style, uh, like inspired by traditional mm-hmm. Chinese art, and um, just really super interesting locations. And she gets. Uh, different um abilities and her dresses uh, i thought that was really interesting how the dress she's wearing is inspired by the land or place that she's in and is just this very dark kind of demented twisted alice in wonderland story she herself she's not blonde she's got dark brown or black hair she's a brunette um just a fascinating game and um this is also something that you basically played like once but it made a hell of an impression yes i actually have a lot of strong memories of that game and then and i mentioned this too how i loved it so much that at the time um i guess it was the developer uh, but they had put out um some limited pieces of art it was like a something like a like only three thousand or only five thousand or maybe even in the hundreds of this particular print um they issued. They had like a color version and a black and white version. The color version was more expensive and on my GameStop salary, I couldn't afford it. <laughs> but the black and white one, I actually prefer it anyway. So I got the black and white version. And then uh, I went to um, I went to get it framed. And I think I got like UV protecting glass. Like I went all out for this thing. Um, not only because it was expensive, but because I really love this piece of art and I've framed it and uh, it was hanging in our apartment. Now it's now it's in our house. So it's a great game. Great, uh, great, great music too. So um, I did not mention Halo for the 2001 section because I really didn't end up playing Halo until I played the anniversary edition of it, which is ironically 10 years later here in 2011. So uh, that's the version I'll talk about. So the combat evolved anniversary on 360 that was really cool like i've always i always thought halo was interesting um my my xbox 360 past is convoluted like i had a 360 it died and then i ended up getting another one but uh i finally got to play combat evolved and the ability to switch back and forth between the classic graphics and the modern i thought was really neat um, I think I prefer the classic graphics. They have there's this alien there's this alienness to the environments in the first Halo that are kind of lacking in the newer versions, but just a really good fun first person shooter. Yeah, I didn't play this tenth anniversary version you're talking about, but I did play uh, Halo via the Master Chief Collection on xbox one Mm -hmm. and you definitely like i'll back you up on that you even switch the graphics modes on halo and there's a lot more purple 
in the original version of that game. <laughs> if you, you put on the remastered graphics and it's like a lot more blue skies, a little more naturalistic, and you lose something. Like there's something really cool about the graphics on the original Halo. That's right. So I guess that's my opening entry for 2011. Zach. Yeah. I Well, look, there was a lot we didn't talk about for 2001. I remember like just looking through mm-hmm. like the list of games that came out that year. And it, mm-hmm. it was a pretty stacked year. It's massive. Uh, in a way that I don't really feel about 2011, but there are still quite a few games in 2011 that I loved. Um, I'll, I'll get it out of the way. Dark Souls came out <laughs> in 2011. I think that was one of the first games I saw on the list when I Googled it. I was like, oh, Noah Zach's going to talk yeah. about. <laughs> um, I was definitely excited for it on, on the back of uh, Demon Souls, which I didn't get at launch, but I got fairly soon after launch and like early enough that I was really excited for, for Dark Souls, which was supposed to be, you know, Demon Souls, but different. Uh, I have i think more affection for the i feel like the kind of like zeitgeist talks about dark souls in particular like the first game in particular as like the most perfect version of what it is um and i i feel like a little more measured on it compared to the rest of the series like i love it i just don't think it's like this one-of-a-kind masterpiece among its brothers i think they all have their own virtues but it's really cool. Um, and the the go-to moments that people talk about, like when you uh, take an elevator down from the parish church and realize that it took you back to Firelink Shrine, or you ride a water wheel up and climb a ladder um, from uh, uh, Blight Town, and you realize that it takes you back up to Firelink Shrine, just the way that the game loops in on itself in unexpected ways. Um, and the, 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 the way that Dark Souls uses scaring you out of your pants as a way of kind of like softly gating different areas of the game, I think is really cool. Like you can go, you, when you start Dark Souls, uh, right after the opening in the asylum, you land in Firelink Shrine, and there's a couple different directions you can go. The intended progression is you go up towards like the aqueduct and go through a couple doors, and, and you're in the uh, undead burg. All of Dark Souls can find um, you can find it very easy to die, but the undead burg is a little easier. A lot of people, before they go to the Undead Burg, they turn the other way. They end up going trying to go through the graveyard to the catacombs. And it's just a ton of Ray Harryhausen skeletons just, like, chopping them to bits. And they're like, what the heck just happened? But you can, and I've done this on replays, you can go rolling past those skeletons, get down to the catacombs. You know where you're going. You can do things totally out of order. But it's just the game really messes with your head from those early experiences to try and <laughs> and that becomes like a, a way of like gating off certain experiences until you're stronger um but it's willingness to just kill you so easily when you mess up gives the the whole soul series a, a lot of it's like it's not about just being difficult per se that's like how the marketing would kind of lead lead you to believe it but um what you do what is important is not the sense of it being difficult necessarily but the sense of 
the game not being on your side. Like every inch you take from that game feels uh, hard fought. And I think that's really valuable. This is uh, a game I've played every year or every couple of years since it came out. Um, and like obviously the whole series, not just the first game, is, is really uh, really precious to me. My most anticipated game right now is, after all, Elden Ring, which has been talked about uh, as Dark Souls, but open world. So mm. there you go. Um, next up for me is uh, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time 3D, um, but more so for the 3DS. Um, you know, Ocarina of Time is my very favorite game, um, and it was cool being able to have Ocarina of Time portable and take it with you wherever you want. Um it's just that the original is so, I mean, you can't, Nintendo will never be able to recapture the magic of, of that game, um, the way it feels on the N64, the way the original graphics look. Um, don't get me wrong, like the 3DS version, Gre- Grezzo or Grezzo did a great job, um, and it's really nice looking. Uh, it's just a little different than the original, and I think something... Just something about that charm of the original was kind of lost, I think, in translation. But it plays great. It's a it's a wonderful game. It's a great port. But the 3DS is like... <laughs> I was working at GameStop, and we found out that we were getting these bundles. The, um, the black 3DS, Zelda 3DS, bundled with Ocarina of Time 3D. And I believe that that bundle had originally been announced as Europe only. And then there were rumors it was coming to the U.S. And the rumors stemmed from, as usual at the time, I don't even know if this really happens anymore, but leaks, like employees, GameStop employees had gotten hold of um, the GameStop Black Friday ad and then leaked it to like, you know, Kotaku and Verge and all these other sites. Um, And so they're like, oh, it looks like the bundle's coming really soon. Black Friday. And then we learned... We were working at GameStop. We learned we were getting them. And I have this repeated history of, for handhelds and then later on consoles, waiting until uh, some special edition, some different color, some different like patterned version came out before adopting. Um, when I got the Switch on launch, that was the first time I had ever personally purchased a system on launch day. Um So my waiting paid off again because I didn't have a 3DS yet. And I was like, this is it. This is my 3DS. It's going to be the Zelda one. And I set one aside for myself, perk of working there. And I got that bundle. And that was my 3DS for the whole entire generation of the 3DS. Like I took it places. Um, I remember going to uh, like Seattle with it. I remember going to the different... Um, the Zelda symphonies with Robert and there was that thing you could do where you could have it on, but shut street, the lid street, street pass. pass yeah. Mm-hmm. And street passing with all these random people. And it would keep track of like where, uh, from where in the world these people were. And you get people from all these different countries and we're getting people from Japan and, and anyway, so it was cool having Ocarina of time portable, mm-hmm. but In particular, my memories are especially attached to the 3DS from the bundle. Uh, I will never get rid of that 3DS. When I play 3DS games, I still play that one. Um, So, Yeah, um, it's interesting. 3DS launched in 2011, 
But I remember there was a lot of disappointment over the launch lineup. But if you look at everything that came out that year, like, it ended up being a fairly stacked year. Because Star Fox 64 launched, mm-hmm. yep. uh, Ocarina 3D, and Mario 3D World. They were all in the same year. It's just they came later. Didn't Street Fighter also Street launch? Street Fighter 4 uh, was, was on honestly, there. Didn't it launch that year? I think it did, I yeah. Think it, I think it came out that year. That was uh, on there. The problem is, <laughs> except for... Mario 3D Land, these are all just ports, right? Yeah, I think that was also part of the problem. Although, you know, they're a little bit more than ports because they're in, they're totally enhanced. Like, the graphics are re- redone hardcore. And then Star Fox, they made the terrible decision to re-record all of the dialogue. It's not as good. But, um... Yeah, uh, but I remember the, the 3DS... Like, its launch was rough enough that they had that ambassador program, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right, the ambassador <laughs> program. Oh, yeah. I think I've talked before about how my my original black 3DS got oh, yes. stolen. a couple but, of times. <laughs> but the, uh, the ambassador program, I remember being worried, thinking, man, like, I got my 3DS at launch. Like, I want that status. And that was another thing they let me get back. Mm-hmm. But, um, well... Maybe I'll get to 3D World for the next one. but uh, Land. Land. 3D Land, yeah. yeah. But this was another uh, transitional period, and so there was there were still some DS games coming out in 2011, and one of them was Ghost Trick. I believe we've talked about Ghost Trick in the past, so I won't linger on it too long, but it was a Capcom uh, adventure game, kind of in the spirit of... Phoenix Wright, but not completely. Like this had a lot more like interaction going on with the touchscreen, incredibly beautiful pixel animation, and like a really interesting narrative. It's one of those games where, unless you're really forgetful, once you've played through it, you know the story. And that's the one sad part of it is like you can never unlearn the story. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's it's worth it again just to go through all those puzzles. But I love Ghost Trick. Um, yeah, that quite was a bit. that was uh, something that I would have brought up if you didn't. Uh, it is wonderful. If I have, let's say, and if anyone is listening to this podcast and they haven't played Ghost Trick, they should play Ghost Trick. I, I think it, the appeal is broad enough. Like the skill requirements are low enough. Like it's just a wonderful game for pretty much everyone. I think. Yeah, anybody who's like an aspiring pixel animator, go look at the animations in that game. They're just so well done. Yeah, it's pixel art done on top of rotoscoped animation. It's it's gorgeous. Um, as as far as a non ghost trick thing to uh, offer up, uh, I will I will say Super Mario Three D Land. Honestly, uh, it it was a uh, look when I bought my Switch. I I bought it partly to play. Uh, Breath of the Wild, which was already out, but the timing was also because I wanted to have a Switch by the time Mario Odyssey came out. When I bought a Wii U, it was to play Super Mario 3D World. And when I bought my 3DS before that, it was to play Super Mario 3D Land. I I think these are all fantastic games. Um, and I, even though none of the Mario games that have come out since... Super Mario Bros. 3 have quite fully recaptured what I think is like like best ever magnificent about Mario 3. Um, I really think that these like later games like 3D Land and 3D World really do recapture a lot of it. And even, you know, the, the Galaxy games, etc. Like I, I still have a real soft spot for Mario. I love the way these games feel. Um, 
the level designs are often really playful. And uh, in a game like Mario 3D Land, which is so focused on obstacle course stuff, uh, it doesn't feel at all compromised to me, at least, by being on a, on a handheld. You can tell, like, the resolution is not what you would ideally want it to be, but it doesn't get in the way. And um, to be honest, I think of all the games I had on 3DS, Mario 3D Land is the only one, the only one where it felt like it was worth turning on the 3D. That, like, what it added to the experience was worth whatever headache or I... High related tension <laughs> sprung out of turning the 3D on and putting it on Max, but putting it putting that in a 3D platformer, especially a 3D platformer that is so solid in its game design as 3D Land, uh, is definitely worth doing. Yeah, 3D 3D Land. Before we move on from it, I, I love that game a lot as well. I think it's fascinating because it sort of. I don't know, kind of reinvents the 3D formula in a way because it skews closer to the the feeling of the 2D games. Mm -hmm. But particularly the way that he moves where you have to press down a button to make him run. Like, that's super reminiscent of the old 2D games. And then the uh, he has the analog movement in that one, right? Where it's no longer true 360-degree turning radius. It's instead the eight Oh, which diagonals. is to say it's not... It's not analog in the same way but yeah you are kind of like not I, I don't know if you're completely locked to eight ways but it certainly like at least locks you to eight ways like you yeah and i i just i feel like that is the optimal way to make him move in 3d i just feel like it's so much easier to chart where you're gonna go and set up these like chains of movement because like mm -hmm. when when it's not in the, that way when it's the, just the freewheeling 360 I think it's a little harder to know exactly where he's going to go when you launch him. Whereas with this, it's like, I know I'm pressing in this direction. That's where he's going to go. And it's just such an elegant control design solution. And I love Mario Odyssey, but I, I was very happy when they put out 3D World on Switch. Because I was like, I hope they go in this direction. Like, keep these controls. The creativity of Odyssey I love, like the level design and all that, but... What was started with 3D Land was really great. And yes, like as, in terms of like a 3DS game, that game is beautiful. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's it's amazing what they managed to do with it visually. I mean, 3D World blows it out of the water, but it still looks incredible. Yeah. Well, the next one is a little unusual, um, but I felt like it was worth putting on this list. Uh, Mortal Kombat. Uh, from 2011. It's just called Mortal Kombat. Uh, I played it a lot on the PS3. And I hesitated to put this one on my list because all of my time playing it and all of my memories are associated with uh, uh, my ex and a prior relationship that went very south. <laughs> um, but the game itself was really, really fun. Um, I hadn't played Mortal Kombat since like the Super Nintendo and my ex and his specifically actually his, his younger brother um, had, you know, PS3 and, and had Mortal Kombat. And I remember we were just hanging out and decided to put it in. And I just got like I, I picked it up super fast, um, which tends to actually happen to me with fighting games. Um, I'll I can pretty much just kind of get the gist of the gist of it and feel confident playing. 
but it was, <laughs> it was so fun and the game looked amazing and i just oh man all the fatalities were just over the top ridiculous um the character designs are so over the top and uh you know i remember playing I, for some reason i i gravitated towards Mel- melina a lot um hated when she took off her mask because her face is just so gross and uh, scary <laughs> uh, played as like if you hate that why did you gravitate to because melina because she, she was very fun to play as okay um and there's the other one i can't remember it's not jade she's the green one with the staff but the the blue chick with the fans I, katana yeah katana played a lot of katana and i also like scorpion i think scorpion's cooler than sub-zero but i just spent so much time playing that game and i think i even ended up playing some of the um the campaign a little bit uh his brother was nice enough to let me Mm. play it that much but um like if if i had that game now i'd probably probably get back into it a little bit i I can only take so much mortal Kombat. you know i'm not a big gore person um which is funny though because Resident Evil 4 is one of my very favorite games, but it Mortal Kombat is is way more over the top and, and gory than like Resident <laughs> Evil 4. So I can't sit there for hours and hours playing Mortal Kombat like it can say like Resident Evil 4, but um it was still a lot of fun. And yeah. Well, I'm trying to think of what I want to talk about for the next one. I want to mention Solitarobo. Red the Hunter. <laughs> I mean, it's a really good game. It's also one of those ones that'll charge the hell out of you for if you try to get it on eBay from some a hole scalper. But uh, do we do we want to talk about? This? No, I will just keep it super general. <laughs> you I brought him up before. I worked at GameStop for those who don't remember. Uh, no, I mean, not not the not the GameStop part because I just mentioned it. I mean. For those who don't remember the story, I worked at GameStop. There was a guy, is all we will say, and uh, Robert was familiar with him from somewhere that Robert worked at, where this guy was also a regular. (laughs) And when we found out that he was a regular at my job, too, we were able to exchange stories. He was a character, is what I will say. The guy was a character. And he had these kind of Coke bottle bottom glasses. <laughs> so he just got called goggles. <laughs> and I remember, I don't remember what was launching alongside Solo Turobo. It might have been like, I don't know, like the Splinter Cell uh, trilogy or something like that. It was something not Solo Turobo, something it's polar opposite. And it was on a console. Anyway, I just remember there were all these people in the store and they were like, pre-ordering something or like getting their getting their pre-orders whatever it was and here comes goggles and he walks up to the counter and he's all awkward and he's like hi i am here to pick up my pre-reserved copy of solat robo (laughs) of course you'd be here right now (laughs) picking up of all the things solat robo the thing that stands out to me about this story is that Angie's describing this. We ended up laughing about it later because I had the game pre-ordered too. Oh, yeah. So it's like, so what does it say about me that I'm in the same tier as Goggles that I'm here for Solo to Robo as well? Yeah. But uh, so that one's worth a mention. It's a it's an action RPG, but you're playing as like dog characters and they're in mechs. So it's pretty cool. Zach is 
bursting to tell you that they're furries. Yep. He's wrong. Mm-hmm. He got a look on his face. <laughs> hey, um, and Angie, you've seen this furry character. You know. It's not a furry. <laughs> it is absolutely. <laughs> there is this vague point of delineation for Zach where it goes from anthropomorphic <laughs> animal character to furry. Like, yeah, I, I tease you about Star Fox. <laughs> he's accused. Star Fox isn't actually yeah. over the line. Star Fox is just appealing to people who are themselves over the line. But Salata Robo itself is over that line. He's accused Star Fox of being a furry game, of Sonic of being a furry game. Again, to Robert's point, he just thinks anything anthropomorphic animal is furry. The boy who cried furry. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. A couple of quick (laughs) shout-outs. Tactics Ogre on PSP came out this year. That was a really good strategy RPG. The Blob... I love the De Blob series. The uh, Blob 2 came out. You're this blob, and you're rolling around adding color to the world. Super fun. But the one I will focus on... Representation in games. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Marvel vs. Capcom 3 came out this year. I have a lot of memories of that game. My friend Justin was super good at Marvel vs. Capcom. <laughs> When the HD version of Marvel vs. Capcom 2 came to uh, PSN, my God, I remember going to his apartment that he lived in, and I believe we were either in his apartment or we were playing online. All I know is I think the record was he kicked my ass 52 times in a row. (laughs) I could not beat him. Like, Smash Bros, I'll go toe-to-toe with anybody, but his game growing up was Street Fighter and Marvel vs. Capcom. So he was like an old school, like he knew how to play. But then when Marvel vs. Capcom 3 came out, that became, you know, this is what we were playing. And, you know, it was, uh, this was before the Marvel Universe crap was going on with like the movies. Like the way that it is now where, well, let's roll it back a little. When Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite came out, they banned all the X-Men characters. Because they're like, we're only going to focus on the... (sighs) Marvel Cinematic Universe, and plus they didn't have the rights mm-hmm, to X-Men yet, mm-hmm. so they ruined that game. How annoying. But Marvel vs. Capcom 3, they did not F up, mm. and so you still had like Wolverine to play as, and that game was really fun. I don't know what the the fan consensus is on it, but I enjoyed Marvel vs. Capcom 3 a lot and played that for hours. MVC 3 had, I think, like a long life as a tournament game. Okay. Um, so... Yeah, I've definitely seen like highlight clips of, uh, especially of Hagar uh, smacking people with a pipe over and over. <laughs> Let me do a quick check in. You might hear our cat in the recording. <laughs> Excuse us. Excuse her, I mean. Um, so I have two more games for 2011. How many games do each of you have? I have three others I can talk about. I wasn't necessarily planning on going over. All of them. Okay. But Robert. Yeah. Uh, at least one or two more. Maybe let's stick to two more. Sure. Each. Okay. Um, Skyward Sword. Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. Uh, I've made it very clear multiple times. In retrospect, don't really care for this game. Lots of reasons I don't. Um, Mark Jeffries Link. <laughs> Mike Jeffries <laughs> Mike, Link. Mike can be Mike Jeffries Link. Excuse me. <laughs> it's a big part of it. Um, but, you know, I mean... There were some good things about this game, too. I wouldn't have put 135 hours into it if I didn't find something about it that I liked. And um, I actually haven't... I still haven't picked up the HD remake for Switch. Um, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I I was I was looking through the games that came out this year, and I was like, how did I how do I not have that still? So I'll make a confession that I also have not picked up Skyward Sword <laughs> HD for Switch. But see, uh-huh. that's not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, Robert has talked about you know the the tragedy with our Wii and and losing all of our save data and all 135 hours of my life that I poured into Skyward Sword went away, but. Yeah, I mean, it's the game has its perks. It has some interesting things about it. Um, it has some interesting moments, but you know, again, not my favorite. Um, but certainly um, memorable for sure. Uh, I remember getting the collector's edition again. Another perk of working at GameStop, and the collector's edition came with the uh, the gold Wii remote, and it has the uh, I believe it has the um, like Hylian Crest on it. Yep. Um, which was cool because I also ended up getting the gold nunchuck from Club Nintendo when Club Nintendo still existed and actually gave cool, legitimate prizes. Uh, and that's really hard to come by. And so I have that matching set and I wouldn't have the gold nunchuck to go with the gold Wii remote and vice versa if I hadn't gotten both. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, we skipped over me in that cycle. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I just got so. Go ahead. I could have asserted myself earlier. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I did the check in. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Um, Yakuza Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest, almost any Yakuza game would probably make it onto <laughs> a list for me. Um, Yakuza Four, I really liked though. It is the first one in the series that feels like it's not just about Kiryu. It's like a greater kind of like almost anthology of stories of Akiyama, Saijima, who would go on to be series mainstays, then Tanimura, who never turned up again, and then, and then Kiryu. Um, and, and all the stories do get woven together. Um, but it it's a big, ambitious game. Like the script the increase in scope from Yakuza 3 to Yakuza 4 is probably ill-advised. It seems like they got an idea that they wanted to do a game with four protagonists and and then did what they had to to make that work. But like you could have done a leaner game with fewer protagonists. I like how big it is. I like the the big finale with the four heroes versus four villains. And I love um, the just the insanity of a there are four like there's four main themes in that game and they're called four face like there's four protagonists mm-hmm. four faith like this these four hearts fighting together mm-hmm. and then four faith like in service of faith and four face. So it's like there's four face, four face, four faith, and four faith are these all like mm-hmm. almost homophonous, especially in Japan, mm-hmm. different different versions of the theme. The combat uh is kind of this is the like the the start of what you see in like Yakuza Zero, where you Kiryu has like the and Majima also have like the different modes they can switch through, mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. you know, the uh rush style. Yep. Uh, I forget what they're all called. I think, Beast style. Yeah. Isn't there like... Brawler? Yeah. And dragon, right? Mm-hmm. And then isn't Majima, doesn't he have like dancer, assassin? 
Yeah, yeah, I don't remember what yeah, exactly they're yeah. called, but they they started in like they have their roots in uh, not Assassin's Creed, <laughs> another series I've played a billion games of. Um, but uh, Akiyama has like the quick style, Saijima has the beast style, and then Kiryu, of course, has the um, the Kiryu style. But but I love it. It's, it's a you know it's 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 full on soap opera crazy plot twist. This is the one that gets uh, made fun of for having a a big plot twist that has to do with rubber bullets. Oh like, yes. Why oh yes. Why aren't all these characters dead? <laughs> well, you see, I yeah. shot thirty people with rubber bullets and had no idea I hadn't actually killed them. Oh yeah, because also like I'm thinking back to zero, so. Man, hang on a second. Majima loses his eye as punishment mm-hmm. for... I just remember he's getting tortured at the time that Saijima does that hit, right? Yeah. But I don't remember what he's being punished for. I don't remember exactly. I don't remember either. I just remember... It, but, you know, this is like a big thing because <laughs> Majima loses his eye. While he's getting tortured, he's like, oh, I couldn't be there for my big bro. You know, he kills all these people, then he goes to prison. And this is like a, a regret that he's held for decades, uh, like at least a decade. <laughs> until you find out Saijima really didn't kill anyone. And it's rubber bullets and the whole th- Anyway. Yeah. Nevertheless, anyway. <laughs> it's a great game. Ton of personality, ton of heart. I, I really fell for both Akiyama and Saijima. I think they, they, they're both fantastic in their opening um, entries. I wish Akiyama featured as much in any of the later games as he does in 4, but he really kind of steals the show in 4. Is he the, uh, the banker? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic story. And I also have like a soft spot in general. For, for whatever reason, I really like it when games feature the four celestial beasts. Oh, yes. Like the black turtle, mm-hmm. the white tiger, the red bird, and the blue dragon. Mm-hmm. Speaking of tigers, yep. Our, again, if you hear this distant meowing in the background, it's our cat. Who, or not so distant. Who decided she wanted to show up. I was going to say, in Yakuza 4's four protagonists are all like themed after those four beasts yeah. so like for example the the cop tanimura who's the the black turtle mm-hmm. he's got like a, a puffy black jacket mm-hmm. and a lot of like defensive abilities in, in battle mm-hmm. akiyama wears a red jacket and does a lot of rising jump kicks mm-hmm. so he's the bird right well i'll uh, go uh, uh, no, no hang on i was gonna say i'll go back to me and then we'll, then we'll get the order back back way it's supposed to be so she's uh, getting an extra no no, no. Okay. this is my this is my last one um mario kart 7 well i don't want to do two in a row is that how that would work if we did if we went back to the yeah, we'll, come, we'll come back around to you okay yeah so All that right. way robert doesn't do two in a row okay but you better not steal mario kart 7 i'll just say no it's that. okay it's well okay. even you if see, he does i'm just kind of surprised that none of us have discussed conduit 2 oh sequel to the conduit. I kind of remember. <laughs> is this a, is this a joke game. entry? What, uh, were we supposed to prepare a joke entry for this? A list? joke? You call that a joke? You should be ashamed of yourself. It is cutting edge software. Actually, I enjoyed the conduit games, but I think the second one is the one that has the insane, like Abe Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson ending, where like you, you open a portal and they're like both still alive. 
What really kills me is imagining that someone at high voltage, like they were sitting and like, what are we going to call it? The conduit too. No, you have to get rid of the the. Why? Because now there's not just a conduit. There are multiple conduits. So it's conduit too. I'm like, who cares? <laughs> anyway. Robert, what's your actual game choice? My actual game choice is Kirby Mass Attack. Oh, good one. Good one. So... Again, this is the end of the DS era transitioning into the 3DS era. So you still had some of these straggler games from DS, like Ghost Trick. Mass Attack is hella fun. Um, it represents kind of the end of the really clever um, touchscreen-based games that DS had. I feel like DS was way more creative with the touchscreen-type games that you saw versus 3DS. 3DS started to play it more safe. Or play it safer, I should say. Um, but DS was still that heart of like crazy stuff that you would see. And Mass Attack had you, I think you could control up to 10 Kirby's at once. Lots of Kirby's. Using the style. So yeah, and you would like fling them at things. Like some of it was weight based. Like you had to have a certain number of Kirby's. <laughs> that game was just super fun and creative. And like one of the last, you know, DS games. And Which was the one where you could call call them on your cell phone? Oh, that's one of the Game Boy Advance ones. So cute. I'm forgetting what that one is, but... Zach has no appreciation for Kirby. None. That's not true. None. Just very little. It's not none, but... I have a lot of Kirby collectibles. Yeah. Little figures and stuff. Yeah. He never... I'll show him new ones, and he just stares. whoop de doo <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to throw a couple honorable mentions out before I get to my last one when we come back around, but... I like the Pokemon Black and White games. I like Pokemon Black and White and Black and White too. Mm. I thought they were really well made, and that it has they, those games because they're the last of the like kind of pixel art Pokemon games. Mm -hmm. Some of the best in the series, just absolutely beautiful. It's like sort of a mix of the pixel stuff, but also some three D elements. Hey, hey, hey! These are honorable mentions. Don't get too deep in it. Anyway, beautiful. And then, uh, wow, I'm forgetting what the other honorable mention is. So we'll get to. When we come back to me, dishonorable. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna call out uh, Assassin's Creed Revelations, uh, which was not my absolute favorite Assassin's Creed game, but I think one of the stronger ones. I really like the setting of Constantinople, uh, rich, colorful, the elevated walkways and slanted roofs, and all the all the zip lines that I'm sure are not historically accurate make uh -huh. the city a lot of fun to get around. And as they build up from Assassin's Creed 2 to Brotherhood to Revelations. They just keep adding more tools. They kind of strip it away when they make like the generational leap to Assassin's Creed 3. But you have this whole bomb building system. Like you can say like, I want my bomb to have, uh, you know, this kind of gunpowder, this kind of shell, this kind of catalyst, whatever. So you can like mix and match effects, but you can make... The, the, the fun thing is you can make bouncy bombs. So you can shoot bombs around corners, which really opens things up. You also have sticky bombs, more traditional bombs. Um, you can make smoke bombs. You can make sound bombs to like draw people away. Like you have a lot of freedom and it's really more freedom than you need, which is part of the fun. Like it's not, you have more power to control crowds including crowds of guards via the bombs than you really need. So you have like, you can do it however you like, really. Mm -hmm. um, 
that on its own is fun. Like there's other tools you have. You have a parachute. You can like jump off high buildings and like just ride that parachute down. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot more toys to play with in Revelations compared to the preceding games. Mm. Um, And I do really like the setting and they do this really great thing in Revelations uh, where they parallel Ezio's story with Altair's story. So you kind of have this, you have this dual retirement story where Ezio is like on his last mission and he's retracing the footsteps of Altair's last mission. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I really think that it, it some people can, don't like that Revelations doesn't have as much side content as Brotherhood. Uh, and there's some other things some people don't like about Revelations, but I actually do like that it's a somewhat leaner game, mm-hmm. um, which is partly because it started as a 3DS game called Lost Legacy, I think, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of that, and they ended up turning it into a 360 game that they got out the door in like a year, uh, it just had to be a smaller game because of it. And I think the game definitely benefits. Uh, it has maybe the best ending in the series. No. No, Black Flag's still got a better ending, but it, it, it does have a strong finish. Um, and I think of the Ezio games, that's definitely the one I would be likely to replay. This is a, a, a late discovery by me. I, you know, I only played it a few months ago. Yeah. Yeah. You have one more game? I do. Okay. Then uh, I'll finish out with Mario Kart 7. It's a great entry in the Mario Kart series, I mean, but what really stands out <laughs> is that this is where... The man, the myth, the legend, shy guy. Meow. <laughs> enters. Was this the 3DS Ow. entry? Mario uh, Kart uh, 7? Uh, what was this yes. on? Yes. Yeah. Yes, 3DS. Yes, 3DS. Um, you could only play a shy guy, I believe, if you were on doing like online multiplayer. And I think it was like if you were the guest or something like that. But mm. either way, he was only available online. Uh, and then somebody... Somebody at Nintendo got the bright idea, and I don't mean that sarcastically, I mean it genuinely. And we're like, why should he be relegated to Wait, online multiplayer? No, I don't think you're right. You I just... believe that the DS one is where he was <gasps> online only. He was playable in 7. Is he playable in Yeah, seven? he just doesn't have all the different colors you can choose from. Oh, okay, well, look at me, mixing up my, my Mario Kart games. But still, the fact remains that somebody finally got the good idea to include Shy Guy in Mario Kart. He had been neglected all of these other entries. And someone realized he's small. He fits well in a cart. He, we can do these great animations with him. And he just works and he fits. And he's been in the series. Check it out, boss. I made his arms wiggle. Yeah, that's so cute. Uh, Mario Kart 7 deserves a, a real shout out. Yeah. <laughs> Although I love Shy Guy too, but... Uh, it deserves a real shout out for uh, everything that's in Mario Kart Eight, mm-hmm. like with the exception of the anti grab. All yep. that was introduced in Seven, so yep. you could go underwater and you could fly. Yep. That was the big change that that game brought. It is a. It was a really. Uh, I guess hallmark is the word. Uh, I mean, it was. It was just. It's a significant entry in the Mario Kart series for all the different things that it introduced. Uh, even the. Um, what's that car called? The. Uh, maybe it's uh, the bee 
the B something B dasher. I think that's on the box. I think that's what Mario's driving on the box. I think so. But Again, that might be the DS version, but I, I can't know. remember I now. Can't, I can't remember, but I just feel like from either it was either you know uh, seven or the DS version, but the B dasher has been really prominent since. Um, but it seems like seven just yeah that eight took a lot of inspiration from seven, um, which is cool because. It's not like, uh, you know, you can't get enjoyment out of a handheld game. It's just it's neat seeing those things like going underwater and flying on a console version, like big on the screen. It's just really impressive. I think is seven the one that retro helped make a little bit. I swear they helped do the Donkey Kong stage. I don't know. Least. It would make sense, but I don't know. That sounds like marketing nonsense. If they just came in to advise on one stage. What do you mean marketing nonsense? It's like if we get retro involved, then we can <laughs> talk about this. That and game then the has reviews enough. We'll talk pedigree. about yeah, it. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's not gonna really sell. You know, extra it's, it's not Mario Kart Seven, but Mario Kart DS. I remember you could change all the characters' like weight classes because you could take, for example. Bowser's cart, mm -hmm. but put Mario in it, and suddenly Mario was like a heavy. Mm -hmm. And like it had this mode where you could play single player, but instead of going through all the cups, you could just go through like each each course basically. And I went through every single course in the game in one night, in one go, uh, back to back to back to back, and got first place. And I was like, "Am I going to get anything for this?" And got nothing. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry. Did this game come out in 2001 or 2011? I'm sorry. Just, just, just adding some just color to the entry. Thank you. Please. <laughs> Mario Kart 7 is a significant entry in the Mario Kart series. So I guess uh, my last entry, I'm going to do a shout out to Radiant Historia. That's a really good RPG that was on DS. And I think it got brought over to 3DS, but the DS version is really good. Great pixel art, great uh, multi multiple ending kind of stuff. But uh, I'm going to do another obscure one for my final mention which is monster tale so it's a metroidvania i'm gonna blank on the name of the studio that made it they ended up making i believe it was a sequel or remake of that what's that mickey game everyone loves on genesis magical castle or something mm, is that what's sure. it called the old school sega uh mickey game that everyone loves castle of illusion yes they made i think a sequel to castle of illusion and then went bankrupt but mm. They had made uh, Monster Tale, and that game was super cool. Like, you, you're you going through the typical Metroidvania, like, overworld, where you have to backtrack when you get new abilities and stuff. But as you're going through, you're feeding this pet monster on the lower screen. And uh, that was just a really fun, creative DS game. Also towards the end, and most people never played it. I think they were supposed to remaster it, and I don't know if that has happened or if I lost track of it, but Monster Tale was a lot of fun. All right, and Zach, with the finale of the 2011 Yeah, last one on my 2011 list. Uh, Dead Space 2. Mm. Uh, put a gun in my head, I'd tell you I prefer the original Dead Space. It's got a lot of atmosphere. Um, and I think... The second one does lose a bit of atmosphere, if no for no other reason than that Isaac, the protagonist, is now voiced. Mm. But it also has a little more action energy to it. Um, and look, it's not the first time that's happened in, in horror media, you know, from, from Aliens compared to Alien or the changes that have happened over the Resident Evil series, too. 
Um, but Dead Space 2, uh, although it is a little more hectic and action focused, is really good at that. It has you fighting uh, swarms of rushdown enemies. Uh, that that's new. Like the little uh, there's like kid necromorphs mm. in Dead Space 2. Um, and Dead Space 2 is where I think the lore really explodes and gets gets more interesting too. Um, my, my pitch for Dead Space 2 is partly it's more Dead Space and Dead Space is awesome. And it's a shame that that, that game really only got, that series only really got two entries before EA decided to try and make it a co-op buddy shooter. Mm-hmm. But like both of the original Dead Space games, the, the two, two of them are really fantastic. It's just a ton of fun, honestly, a great variety of weapons and the enemies in Dead Space, like owing to that central idea of like, what if the head is not the weak spot, Mm -hmm. uh, just makes for a lot of encounters that are really fun in a really video gamey, satisfying way without damaging the atmosphere of of the encounters. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, I've only played it the once, but it, it, it's, it's a... It's a real standout. One last honorable mention, just because I, I can't not comment on it. It was so funny. Brink. It was a first-person shooter, multiplayer. It was supposed to be a quote-unquote Call of Duty killer, because that was the obsession in 2011, was what can topple Call of Duty? And I remember my friend Justin, Phil, and then all of like the group we were part of that would play online on 360, Justin had been hyping the hell out of Brink. And it was like, oh, we've all got to get on this game. We've all got to play it. And so when the game launched, it got terrible reviews. And I remember, I think at least half of the group, and I was not one of them, but the other half of the group like got the game. And everyone was like, so well, are we going to play it? And Justin hadn't gotten it. He was the hype man for the game, and he didn't buy it. And he was like, no, I didn't get it. And I don't remember if it was because the reviews were bad, but like... It was just so funny because he had convinced so many of the people in the group go buy the game, and the game was terrible, so <laughs> and then none of us ended up playing did it. Did you ever play it? I never got to play it. How is this an honorable mention? <laughs> it, it, for being hilariously yeah. bad. <laughs> kind of like Conduit. Um, well, Conduit was better than Brink, but still. So, All right, so on to 2021. We're yeah. going to close out with... Now, I'm going to throw in the caveat of I'm not necessarily going to just talk about games... That came out in 2021. I'm going to talk about what I played in 2021 that I really liked. So. Okay. So. I am going to strictly talk about things that came out in 2021. I'm throwing one in that I didn't play in. That was not from then. So um, I'll start off with the briefest honorable mention possible. Uh, for me anyway. For 2021 was New Pokemon Snap. I say that because it's still sitting unplayed in my pile of Switch games. Um but I got it because I have a ton of fond memories of playing Pokemon Snap. I put hours into that game when I was a kid on the Nintendo 64, and I was thrilled that they were coming out with a new one. But so many other games and things have happened. I just still haven't gotten to it, but I will just say I'm very happy that they made another one. <laughs> Did they even ship a game, or is it just like the box art? No. And just you game. open it up, and there's just an insert that says, Remember Pokemon Snap? <laughs> there's a game, and I watched Robert play some of it. So that's my honorable mentioned just in the sense that i haven't gotten to put any time into it yet but it did come out this year i guess like robert i have one game that it it didn't come out this year 
but I put a ton of time into it. Mm-hmm. And that was Final Fantasy XIV. Um, obviously, Endwalker just came out a couple weeks ago, so technically I had new content this year. I haven't gotten to play Endwalker yet because I'm not there yet in the story. Um, but started playing Final Fantasy XIV this year, and it's been really fun playing with Zach. I probably would not be playing this game if it weren't for Zach, and it's definitely a game that's not really in my wheelhouse. It's not something I would typically turn to. It is certainly the most complex game I've ever played, um, and it has quite a learning curve, but Final Fantasy XIV has been great. Not my favorite game. It's not going to make it on like a top 10 list for me, uh, but it's fantastic, and it's one of the only like games involving a character creator that actually enjoyed. <laughs> I typically don't like that. I would rather just play as a given character. But it's been fun, you know, creating your character, deciding what job you want to be, and then going through the story. Um, the story is definitely slow to pick up, especially in the first, like the original game, and then even into, um, what's the first expansion called again? Heavensward. Heavensward. Um, but once it picks up, it really picks up and gets going. And um, it's super interesting. Uh, and there's a lot of characters that I actually really ended up liking a lot. There are some characters I cannot stand. And this game kind of suffers a little bit from like anime, tropey, we really want you to like this character kind of characters. But uh, at the end of the day, Final Fantasy XIV um, has been a lot of fun for me this year. We're going to maintain the rotation? Yes. So you're next, Robert. Oh, okay. We're skipped over Zach for start with no them. that's all right that's all right i have fewer things that i actually played that came out in 2021 so this works out all right well i'll go with the oldest game that i enjoyed in 2021 which was uh spider-man on ps4 i've not done the miles part i had just completed the main campaign i got to work on the dlc but man like as a comic book fan very satisfying um i played it the night that i went to go watch no way home and I really enjoyed No Way Home as well, so massive Spider-Man vibe going. And I was like, you know, I started this game, did like two minutes of it, and then stopped. So I was like, I'm going to restart it because I want some Spider-Man right now. And I had come home at 11.30 at night. I don't think I stopped playing until almost 6 in the morning. <laughs> it was that fun. And I've just been plucking away at it ever since. I just finished it this afternoon. The selection of costumes is incredible. Not only because it's like a cool sort of like, this is what it would look like if it was basically in one of the movies, but they still have that feel. So like, you can get into the 2099 suit, you can get into the Scarlet Spider suit, all these different costumes. But then what I really enjoyed was, I don't know if this was a Marvel thing, because 2018, I believe Dan Slott would have still been writing Amazing Spider-Man. But regardless, somebody like Dan Slott He's not one of my favorite Spider-Man writers, but there are little bits of it that I enjoy. Uh, One of the costumes, uh, a couple of the costumes are straight from his run of writing the comic. I'm like, hey, look, there's a stealth suit. Uh, There's the uh, the Alex Ross suit with the green eyes and the glowing spider. Just super cool playing that game and the really good storytelling and combat. I was really impressed with Spidey PS4 and... Now I want to play the Miles game, and I'm probably going to buy a PS5 when Spidey 2 comes out, because it was just so damn entertaining. Well, I um, I crunched the numbers, and it turns out uh, I only played one 
brand new game that came out in 2021. And that was Cyber Shadow. Mm. Mm. Uh, I wanted to play that. Didn't get around to it. You still have the opportunity. It's true. It's true. Uh, it was really good. It's, uh, you know, it's a... Uh, 8-bit retro side-scroller influenced by games like Ninja Gaiden. Um, and obviously it modernizes that in some ways, but aesthetically uh, it was hitting all the right notes for me. And uh, the the game has like a signature mechanic, which you wouldn't find in an older game like Ninja Gaiden, which is that you can dash through enemies to damage or kill them, you can also dash through bullets, and when you do that, it opens up new mobility options. Like you can chain a dash into a jump, into a dash attack, into a jump, into a dash attack, into a jump. So there are some segments in that game where you have some almost Celeste-like screen traversals that you can do um, in the midst of 8-bit ninja action. So I, I really did enjoy that. I hope they follow it up. I, I guess they, they've been kind of quiet, so maybe there's not going to be any, any DLC. But at the very least, I'd be interested to see what... I think Machine Head was the name of the developer. Um, but I'd be interested to see what they do next, definitely. Well, um, yeah, I only have two more entries myself for 2021 because I spent a lot of time playing Animal Crossing... Um, you want to count Happy Home Designer as a new game? You know what? It does count. It does count. Um, that wasn't going to be my next thing. I will keep it brief, though. Um, yeah, Happy Home Designer is uh, and really just the, the big major update for Animal Crossing. Um, really impressive. It's frustrating that it took so long, but at the same time, that was a lot of content for them to develop. It's essentially another game within the game. Um, really interesting new things you can do. Um, in your own home, uh, the things you can do to design in Happy Home Designer. It's just the whole thing is just fantastic. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a good one to mention. But the next thing I was going to mention was uh, Metroid Dread. Um, the last time I got super into a Metroid game was Prime. And not when Prime came out. I played Prime later. Um, but And I've played other Metroid games since especially like on the Game Boy Advance. Mm -hmm. But Dread, uh, as soon as I started playing it, I just got really into it. And um, I got the Amiibos, of course, but I just thought that it was, it was, <laughs> it was fun. And, and the, <laughs> um, the sense of, of Dread, um, you know, not to be like corny or anything, is real. Uh, when the Emmys show up, they're creepy. Um, I kind of start to panic a little bit. Not like, not like panic, panic, but I am starting to feel like I need to get out of here. I don't want it to catch me. Um, the boss battles have been creative. They've made me think like I had to pay attention, you know, like, Oh, okay. I get what it wants me to do here. Uh, so it's a really great game. Uh, it looks really good. Um, and I, I imagine it's been a little while since I picked it up since the last time I played. So if I pick it up, pick it up again, I might be lost, but I'm, it's fine. <laughs> I'm sure I'll figure That's it fine. out. But this Metroid Dread is a fantastic game. Yeah, I'll second that. I've already talked about my love of Dread, but that's an incredibly good uh, Metroid game. I think that... I do think Samus Returns on 3DS, you know, redeemed Sakamoto, but, like, this cemented, like, okay, he effed up with Other M, but now things are back to normal. You don't have to worry, <laughs> hopefully. Um, my... Let me think... 
Well, I'm going to use this as an honorable mention because I'm not like head over heels in love with it, but it was very well done. Uh, Monster Hunter Rise is good. Uh, it's definitely, I think, an ideal entry point for people who have never really gotten into Monster Hunter before. Now, I'm saying this as somebody who's not a hardcore Monster Hunter fan, um, but I think that it has less of this sort of like barrier for new people to play. Uh, Monster Hunter Rise is a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to the DLC that's coming. I think that that's going to really uh, suck me back into it. Uh, How come? When well, we were... Hmm? There, oh. are, there are games and series that we've recommended to you, and mm-hmm. you've said, no, I'm going to start at the beginning. If I'm going to play this, I'm going to play the first game in the series first, then the second game, then the third. But Monster Hunter, you jumped in at like game number eight. Well, no, I, I've played some of the older entries. I did not get whatever the first one was on PSP, which I guess would have just been Monster Hunter. And like that's going to require me having quite a bit of money to to buy all the old PSP Monster Hunter games. So I'm happy with where I've started. I think three Ultimate on Wii U? No, it came to Wii, didn't it? Whatever the first Nintendo yeah, was entry was, I believe I played. But I think I had one of them on PSP as well. But anyway, uh, so my actual entry is going to be uh, Mario Party Superstars. That is really, really fun. Like Mario, so there's Super Mario Party. That game they screwed up at launch. You know, you had you could only use the Joy-Con controllers. The online was super weird, but it was you know, it was fun overall. Why do you need more than a Joy-Con controller for Mario Party? That seems like the whole essence of Mario Party. Well, no, it was actually not like it's a reverse of accessibility. Like, yeah, you don't need complicated controls, but like you would think, can I just use any controller to play? But instead, it was like, no, you have to have the Joy-Con. I think because of the motion controls. But, like, Superstars, instead, like, it goes back and it's just, like, any controller's fine. And it plucks from a bunch of the N64 and GameCube maps and games. And just, like, that return to the basic setup was so entertaining. And I actually was, you know, I, I played those games when I was a kid. I can't remember the last time I went and actually played Mario Party on N64. But when... You're going through Superstars. It's actually showing you screenshots of gameplay from the N64 era. And that was just a total throwback. I'm like, man, I completely forgot this is how it looked when you were playing it. Um, but it, it's super fun. And I, I played so many hours of it, including even the, like the online. I played with my friend online a lot. And uh, it's funny, you know, just like these ridiculous interactions with some of the characters. And it has subtly, it was subtly one of the most beautiful looking uh, Switch games. Mm-hmm. Like very under the radar. Like, hey, here's this incredible looking party yeah, game. Yeah, the beach, the beach um, board is really, really, really pretty hear looking. It. And yes, Zach, the water looks amazing. The um, cake level uh, stage yeah. is incredible. The, the cake board, man, like the plastic of the toys and then the cake itself just incredible. Yeah. Very fun. Mario Party Superstars was going to be my last entry. And uh, the nostalgia from that game, um, it actually hit me harder than I was expecting because I remembered more than I thought I did of these older Mario Party games from the the N64 in particular. Um, There's the one board, uh, the space one (laughs) with the sniff it. It's not necessarily my favorite. I also, Robert, is that one from the N64 or is that from I the GameCube? I believe it was N64. Okay. 
But the Sniffit, the Sniffit cop. I had forgotten all about that. I forgot about that mechanic, how he's <laughs> chasing people around the board. Like, the whole thing is just so funny. And yeah, I mean, they chose really good boards, really good games, mini games from these older entries. Um, but it's the interactions that the characters have that makes Mario Party so entertaining. Their facial expressions, um, the way they like shove past each other when you're in competitive mini games, the way they punch each other and, and push past one another. It's really funny. Um, and Mario Party Superstars is is great. All right. I guess I'll probably close this out. We've been gone for a while. There are a couple other games that I've played like DLCs for that came out this year. Ghost of Tsushima, that would be true. Assassin's Creed Valhalla, that would be true. But the one other thing, like and definitely my game of the year, I know Angie mentioned it already, but Final Fantasy XIV, the new expansion came out uh, right at the end of uh, November, I think. No, it was early December. Whatever. The date got moved around. I think it was early December. And Walker? Yeah. Yeah, December. Early December. Uh, it is the fourth expansion since the relaunch. So Realm Reborn came out in 2013, and then you had Heavensward, Stormblood, Shadowbringers. Now this is the fourth expansion. So it's been, it's been a long story. It's been ongoing. I've been following along since it started off in 2013 and picking up another expansion every two years when it came out. And it's been, you know, a stable cast of characters, a steady long-form story with different episodes. And, like, that's rare in games mm -hmm. to start with, right? Like, Kiryu's story in the Yakuza games it covers a long stretch of time. And I'm sure you could find other examples, too. But it's it's unusual for a saga to take this long. And Endwalker was uh, made specifically to button up that story, like to take the major plot threads against the Garlean Empire and the Heidelin versus Zodiac stuff that's been key to the story since 2013, if not earlier, and give everything a satisfying re resolution. And because that's what its goal is, it's an absolute whirlwind of a story. Like you get to, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it, but like I got like a third of the way through the game and like I thought there were events that took place a third of the way through the game that I would have expected to be like the big finale. <laughs> and it just went from like big to big to big. It feels like they stuffed three stories in there. And, uh, I think that whirlwind pace can be off putting for some people. Um, like I've seen some people say they prefer Shadowbringers to Endwalker. I, I think Endwalker is the strongest expansion they've done in terms of story. Um, a lot of huge moments, a lot of great twists. Shadowbringers is great too. Heavensward was great, and even Stormblood, even though the story was a little uneven, I think Stormblood was great too. Um, but I think this is the best the game's ever been. I've been just over the moon with it. I've been like humming songs from Endwalker day in, day out. Angie has been grooving to the Rats at Han daytime theme. She called it like what, Indian Dance Palace? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the changes they made to my main job, Bard, I was mixed on originally, but I really like them. Um, I've liked most of the other stuff I've tried out in the game. Um, it's, a, it's a hard game to recommend because, as Angela suggested, there is a lot of complexity baked in. Even just from a UI control perspective, it can be a lot to wrap your head around. And then there's a lot of like community norms to wrap your head around. 
and a lot of unintuitive things to wrap your head around, like how your ping affects your rotation or how to balance different substats on your gear, et cetera, et cetera. It's very complex. Um, at least it can be, but I find that it continues to reward and pay back the the time and attention I give to it. It's uh, definitely my game of the year, and the more time I spend on Final Fantasy XIV more generally, not just Endwalker, um, the, the more I realize it, it is like a top 10 game for me. Like, it's, it's fantastic. Um, and Endwalker also feels like, like, it feels like golden era Final Fantasy in a way that nothing since, like, Final Fantasy IX has. And there, uh, there are a lot of uh, Final Fantasy IV references, right? Yeah, but yes, there are a ton of references. And those references are deployed in ways that are very pleasing to people. It, it's not just like, oh, I know that, right? But like the way they're deployed in the story is is well chosen. Um, but it's not just the references. It's like just the general like themes of like, you know, hope versus hopelessness or the way the scope just continues to unfurl if you think about how like final fantasy 7 starts as being about corporations and eco-terrorism and mercenaries and becomes this thing about well you see a space alien tried to like eat the world and then <laughs> and then and then sephiroth with the genova cells decided that he wanted to like blow up the entire planet and then suck in all the all the life stream and become god in in like the vastness of space right like that kind of like big craziness to the storytelling uh, is back in force in Endwalker. So that's what I got. Um, anything else from anyone before we close out? Mm, I guess that's it. Honorable mention to Evercade. The Versus launched this year, which is their home console version of the handheld they put out last year. It's very cool. I got mine in the mail. Um, and yeah, shout out to Evercade. They keep putting out. It's a retro game console, physical cartridges, no digital. It's all about the old school. So anybody who likes... Uh, old data east and namco and atari games should check it out all right cool uh this has been the final season one episode of the seven minutes podcast rounding out 2021 mm -hmm. happy new year yep